coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, once again, back in the can with another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. I am the fucking pilot, and man, I'll tell you what, thank God for the magic of the internet, because on the other line, I got another cool cat to sit down and talk some shit. Uh, so tell me, who the fuck are you? What do you do? I'm Rory Corrigan. Um, I tried to do too much, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I- I've held many hats in the skydiving world. I've uh, been a tandem instructor, AFF instructor. Uh, I've helped with evaluation jumps for a, an examiner friend of mine, DJ Marvin, who you've previously talked to. Yep, yep. Um, uh, master parachute rigger and also a trainer with iFly. Yeah, you're a pretty fucking busy guy, man. Yeah, yeah, sleeps for the week, I guess. Yeah, it's not a bad thing, but, uh, well, one great thing, especially in this sport, is with all those uh, um, titles, you're never going to be unemployed. That's kind of how I took it. Um, thankfully, the whole rigging thing kept me employed when I had a broken spine, so yeah, I uh, I represent that remark. Oh, I'm going to want to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> You just, you just definitely brought up a, a topic we're going to need to touch on. We'll, we'll start, I'll tell you what, we'll start like we do with all of them. Um, how did you get started in this sport? Were there other extreme sports before skydiving? Um, and how did you lead your way into the air? Um, no, uh, fairly boring and pedestrian. Um, my intro was my friend John Barry. He was getting a bunch of people from his job together. Asked me if I wanted to come along with. We had, you know, big bunch of people who were going to get a group discount. I was like, yeah, sure. That doesn't sound like a bad idea. Sure. Uh, So I got to be the first out of the plane out of our group of 14. Uh, I went with the German Range Luda. (laughs) And... uh, yeah, Which, and pe- people ask, you know, oh, were you skating for a I'm like, I had a German man with 16,000 skydives, but he's going to make it through one more. I'm, yeah, I'll be good. Yeah, chances uh, are. Well, so if you did your first tandem with uh, Mr. Range Luda as a German, that means that you jumped in cross keys. I jumped at cross keys in its last heyday before shit went <laughs> completely haywire. Man, oh man, did it go haywire, and man, did it have a heyday, didn't it? Oh, it, I... It's ruined every other drop zone nearly that I've ever been at because as a standard operating drop zone with what that place did was the most mash out boogie at any other drop zone. And that was every Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. Yeah. You know, if you weren't there, people don't, you, you can tell the stories and people trying to equate it to something that they did on their drop zone and you just kind of shake your head and go, no, but no, it was cross keys. There's, there was nothing like it. Yeah, it I'm I'm insanely thankful that I had that as my intro to this world. Um the now, people I've met, the you know, everything that from it, it's it's amazing, but holy shit. Right. Well now with cross keys being where you started, I mean, so a lot of the people that I've talked to, uh actually the majority of people that I've talked to have started at smaller drop zones and had a more mellow intro into it. But you walked into the sport into I don't know how many years I'd been into it by the time I got to cross keys, but you walked into what was the craziest, most overloading skydiving environment out there. I mean, especially because of the party nature of that drop zone as a student, you know, learning how out there, did you ever go, I don't fucking trust these people. I see them on the weekends. <laughs> um, no. It, so the, um, that says a lot first- about you, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, no one ever said I'm smart. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, my first day that we went to do our first tandem, I'm pretty sure they were doing 100 ways out that day. That, that so, sounds right. Yeah. So, like, my first jump, I got to see 100 people landing. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Wow. Um, but. Uh, I, I mean, it, I, I suppose if you don't know, if you don't know that it's a top zone that that's your normal. Yeah. I was just about to say, if you don't know that that's not normal, you know, the hundred canopies in the air and that kind of insanity, I can get that part of it, but you were introduced to the, the nightlife and the, um, uh, the, the tribe, so to speak very, very quickly on. So I guess I, I would think that would be more of what would throw you than seeing a hundred parachutes in the air. Not really. Cause again, that's well, 
Uh, A, because that was the normal. That's what I saw from the get-go. It's cool. This is what skydivers do. Um, <laughs> plus, also just uh, from a couple of years of being like in the uh, in the local Philadelphia rave scene and whatnot. Oh, so, yeah. I you know I, I'd seen some wackiness anyway. So it it was just a different bunch of people who were having fun and loving life. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I guess, uh, yeah. If you if you had the background of the Philly rave scene and stuff, that may have made a little bit more sense uh, that you wouldn't really blink too much at it. But I guess uh, mom or pop or, or Susie and John from around the the block that stroll around and see the insanity that went on in the weekends at Cross Keys would go, "Oh, fuck you! I'm not going skydiving with these people." Yeah, that's that might be wise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we were a little off the chain. So you you did your first jump. What year? Uh, 2003. Okay. So you jumped the year before I started, uh, out at cross keys, uh, and Oh yep. three is when it was really starting to go crazy. Yes. So- uh, <laughs> middle of, like, middle of Oh four is when it, he kind of hit that tipping point and, um, yeah. And some shit happened. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll touch base on that for sure. Um, but yeah, Oh three, uh, is when I knew it was really starting to pick up and, and cross keys had the reputation, not really as a party drop zone, at least not on the West coast where I was. Um, but it had the reputation as being one of the busiest drop zones in the world. And it was, um, the, yeah. the numbers were what, insane. Tandem on any given Saturday during the summer. Oh Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, every instructor was doing between 20 and 25 jumps a day on the weekends. You know, if you didn't do 100 jumps a week, you were pissed off. Yep. You know, because it meant a light paycheck. So you go yeah. through your AFF there. Um, who'd you do your AFF with? Um, so so my AFE jumps were primarily with range. He took me through nearly all of my student jumps. Uh, he wasn't around for a couple of days, so I ended up getting to jump with, uh, Mark Cruzy. Oh, nice. Okay. So you hit the standards out there now. So you, you, you did that first jump. I'm assuming that, w- that pretty much solidified it. Or were you one of these ones that wasn't sure? I, I landed. I was like, cool. That was all right. Um, really? Well, I, I, I guess I forgot the one thing, <laughs> um, so before uh, getting involved in skydiving, I was involved into the uh, body modification community, tattoos, piercings, right. so on and so forth. Um, so I had already performed a couple of body suspensions. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the suspension people thought I was crazy for skydiving. The skydivers thought I was crazy for suspending. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> yes, I did. But, uh, but yeah, so it's... Uh, I guess that would be fairly extreme. Um, so that it, it had a similar sense of freedom. So that also like base jumping, sure. uh, the first step off something that just, uh, when your feet leave the object on base jumping, when your feet leave the ground, when you're suspending or when your feet leave the plane, there's just total freedom that nobody else will have any chance of understanding if they haven't done sure something like that now for those people listening that don't know what suspension is please enlighten them um so you uh, originally way back when we were using well originally uh when i was involved in that scene uh using large like hooks that you would take catch very large fish with uh grind off the barbs um sterilize them get them through an autoclave and uh put a big old hook through your back like about an eight dot hook and you hang off of your skin wow okay now ah, fuck (laughs) that's still even just thinking about that still has a a very real effect on me so um (laughs) what um what what would possibly wow, dude i'm literally getting cold sweats imagining that um <laughs> and i have a big fat piercing in my tongue and all that stuff but that just wow i mean why so what was the original motivation for you wanting to go doing something like a suspension so for that got the um way back when there was a website uh, bme body modification easing that uh i been looking at more and more once i i originally got a tongue piercing with a friend she got one i paid for her for her birthday while i was there i got mine done 
a couple months later got my septum pierced and then i've basically had about every part of my body that can be pierced it has been pierced um so just from being involved in the scene and you would see photos on uh, bme of suspension like wow that's weird and then it's the that's kind of cool to the maybe one day and then eventually on my 22nd birthday my friends said hey this is what you're doing so we uh, drilled some eye bolts into the top of a door frame, and we put some hooks in my back from friends who had worked at uh, at a piercing shop. So they had access to everything that you need to make it, you know, good, safe, hygienic, etc. They had really good cross contamination um, ethics, better than a lot of doctors and nurses I've seen. Hmm. Um, so um, we hooked me up and hung me. I was like, Oh, that was pretty cool. And just kind of, you know, just doing more here or there. There was a, um, dominatrix who kind of liked the idea of what we were doing. So we had a local crew in Philly, uh, and she would let us use her, uh, dungeon whenever, (laughs) like on times when she wasn't there, we had like a meetup time and we'd just hang somebody and go another day. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, yeah. it's, it's funny because I remember you and I met uh, beginning of the season 2004. Um, and uh, I, my first impression of you was just a normal guy, you know, tall, thin, happy-go-lucky. Um, and you were dressed in such a way, I don't know if you had a jumpsuit on at the time or, or what, but you were dressed in such a way that I couldn't see any tattoos. No visible piercings or anything. I don't even know if I noticed that you had a tongue piercing. Uh, and then... I actually for a good long while. What's that? I had five concurrently for a good long while. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I found out all this going into it a little further as I got to know you a little bit better to, to find out that you had huge tattoos and all the piercings and all this other stuff. And and I got to admit, my first thought was, fuck, he seemed so normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, get that, uh, I get that a lot. Well, you know, the funny thing was back then I had, I think I had two tattoos and I wasn't a big, you know, fan of getting more of them. And of course now I've got half of my back covered and a sleeve and all this stuff. So clearly I came around, but I also remember, (laughs) you know, thinking back and thinking, all right, I thought he was strange and look at me fucking who the hell am I? I'm, I'm far from normal. So (laughs) apparently I'm a bad influence. You're right. So, um, cross keys, you, you jumped full time there for how long? I actually never jumped there full time. Uh, well, I was a fun jumper, uh, until July of 2007 when I ended up getting my tandem rating. Hmm. Um, and then I was working mornings from eight to 11 at express doing restocks and cleanup. And then I was driving over to my job as a non-injury auto liability adjuster <laughs> at a uh, auto insurance company. Of course you were. Um, yep. And then when I was done work on Friday night, I would drive straight from there out to Cross Keys. I would sleep in my car, wake up in the morning, and start doing tandems. Yep. Uh, which my first day of doing tandems, I did three. That was on a Sunday. The following Saturday, I did three. The next Sunday I did 10 and that Sunday, yeah, Saturday I did 10, Sunday I did 11. So I went from having three, six, 16, 27 tandems and off to the races with cross keys. Yeah, man. I'll tell you what, man, that place for, for all its, uh, um, negatives and craziness, uh, what a fucking machine that place was. It really was. Well, and, and again, you, you and I were there for pretty much the peak of it. You stayed longer than me because 2006 by then I was in California. Um, but, uh, Cross Keys went through, through such strange times and such a, a, a number of really, really high times and very, very low times. I mean, there was almost like there was a bit of a, a blessing and a curse on that place. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, holy shit. Right? And it just kept yeah. going. I mean, it seemed like every time I turned around after I had left, I was getting more bad news from Cross Keys, you know? It, 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 and it wasn't necessarily just jumpers, but it was all the people in the in the town that we had become friends with and just shitty stuff happening all over the place. Yeah. Of course, soaked in with these amazing times that we were having jumping. In fact, I think the last uh, um, that I heard about and finally just kind of switched off because it was just getting too difficult was uh, um, when PJ had his uh, uh, his bad jump. Yeah, that um, that one sucks because um, 
PJ definitely had some good wise words for me and just like, I still remember stuff that he told me and I pass that on to other people. Sure. Um, sure. He was a, he was, again, he was one of the cross keys crew. He was an odd duck, but an odd duck in a very good way. Oh yeah. He, um, he had a good ass heart. Yo, that yeah. guy. Oh yeah, man. There was a lot of people with really big hearts back then. A bunch of fucking nutcases, but we had big hearts. <laughs> Speaking of, yes. we, we, you and I can't have uh, this podcast without talking about Mr. Rob Stanley. Man, Legend. oh fucking man. You know, I'll tell you what, um, anybody that uh, that knew Rob is already laughing for something that they remember. Uh, and if, if anybody listening didn't know Rob Stanley, man, you fucking people missed out. This guy, holy shit, man. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, Rob Stanley recently passed away on a skydive in China. Um, and he was as legendary as they come. And no matter how hard I try and look back and be upset at the fact that he's not here, every time I start thinking about him, I start fucking laughing. Cause yeah. you can't not, man. He was the most unique individual I think I've ever met. Well, you just, you can think, you can hear in your head him start talking and it starts <laughs> All 15 words he's about to use try to come out of his mouth all at once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just he, put the smile on your face. He was the fucking roadrunner, man. He just was going 150 miles an hour at all times. It was, oh, my God. And he would randomly pop up. I mean, it has been it had been years uh, I, that I hadn't seen or talked to him. And then you'd just get a random Facebook message, just some off-the-wall shit, and you'd laugh for a couple of minutes, and then you wouldn't hear from him for another year. <laughs> that guy was fantastic. He uh um he was the only guy I knew and you've seen this just as many times as I have that on a busy Saturday in Cross Keys where all the staff are doing 22 23 tandems a day, he'd have one load where he was down. Anybody else is taking a shit, they're going to the restaurant to get a sandwich or drinking a coke. He is running in to grab his sport rig so that he can go free fly on the only load the entire day he's got off. Yep. What a maniac. And, yep. And two, I mean, to his dying day was just as enthusiastic about jumping as he was from the start. Yep. Have you, what, what's, I mean, your, what's your favorite Stanley memory? That's what they did. Yeah. What's your favorite Stanley memory? Oof. <laughs> Too many, right? Um, yeah. I mean, the one that kind of sticks with me just on the personal level, I was out in Philly at like a tiny club for a drum and bass uh, DJ night. And he just saunters up and starts talking to me. And anyone who's ever talked to him knows it's already was sometimes a bit of a struggle to get what he was saying. <laughs> Yeah. Then pump out 140 decibels of pumping drum and bass music and your whole rib cage is, you know, shaking from bass <laughs> and he's screaming in your ear, then try to understand them. Um, but the fact that, you know, I had a handful of jumps, like I wasn't even a licensed yet. And he came over to talk to me because he recognized me from the drop zone. Yep. And just like that kind of feeling of family that, um, I, I'm happy I was imbued with that early in the sport. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll tell you what, um, I've worked at a lot of drop zones now and, and uh, obviously met tons of people, but I don't think I've ever and ever will again work at a drop zone that was more of a, a tribe, a family than Cross Keys was back then. I mean, we were seven days a week, fucking 20 hours a day together for nine months at a pop. And then we, and of course, then everybody would go party in Philly or party at the drop zone and all that stuff. Well, I mean, the, the, uh, the day we set the world's record with the Red Bull guys for the most tandems, I'm sure you were there that day, weren't you? Um, I might've been working that day, I think. Oh my God. Did you miss it? Whew. I mean, I, I heard this is a lot of them from you, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there were a few crazy stories there for sure. Yeah, you and Jacko in particular. Yeah, yeah, that was a good day. It was definitely an interesting day for the two of us, for, well, for the whole crew, no doubt about that. So you did cross keys all the way up through 2007, so again, you saw a bit more than me for sure, but uh, um, 
you, where did you transition to from there? I mean, you went from kind of doing the part-time thing to skydiving and, and flying being your whole life. Yep. That's uh, all thanks to you. Um, oh, no. Well, so I'm, uh, I'm sitting at work and a random phone number calls my cell phone. So um, in October, we had, uh, they took everyone from my office into a country club and gave us lunch, put on a DVD and said, Hey, we're changing how we're doing the uh, offices and we're consolidating the Northeast into an entire region instead of just Pennsylvania, New York, et cetera. Right. Um, and we'll be shuttering some offices. We'll tell you which ones in January. So in October, I'm sitting in an office space outside of Philadelphia in and you know, reasonably expensively priced suburb sure. office block. So we're like, okay, well, they can move everyone from this office into the Harrisburg office with room to spare. Who are they going to close first? Right. So I'm sitting there in like November and I get a call out of blue. I walk into the stairwell and, um, you know, hi, this is Neil from Skydance Skydiving. <laughs> when are you going to come work for us? Just, Kind of like, how is this my life? Right. Um, but I didn't know I've had a job come January. Uh, the original plan was to work my ass off between uh, doing tandems over cross keys and eventually get my AFF rating, um, work my other two jobs and just put some money in the bank so that I'd actually have a buffer if I was going to skydive for a living. Right. But uh, my hand kind of got forced a little bit early on this and I was like, well, shit, here we go. So, um, I decided middle of April to head out there cause hoping the season would be starting up a little bit more. And I wanted to spend one last birthday at home with friends. Sure. Um, uh, took off, took about two weeks to drive across the country with, uh, whatever fit in the trunk, the rear foot wells and across the backseat in a Toyota Corolla right. and just moved to Sacramento just because to hell of a uh, yep. So ended up, uh, Waking up in your pop-up trailer the uh, the next morning, and the whole thing was rocking and rolling. Walked into Manifest, and the winds were blowing 51 miles an hour. <laughs> yep. As I sit on a bench with about four grand in the bank, and thinking to myself, I've made the worst decision of my fucking life. I left, like, I was living at home, so I had no rent. And I was just making money and I could afford to skydive because I had no bills. Sure. Like I paid off. My, I had no car note. I, I had zero debt. And now I'm going to an intentionally smaller drop zone that wasn't as busy with the hopes of learning how to be a better instructor. Right. But I'm sitting there going, oh, it does this for three days at a time, you say? Well, <laughs> fuck me. Yep. Yeah, Skydance was a little bit more of the uh, um, the real world drop zone. Cross Keys was its own little, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that that uh, my first uh, AFF jump that I like live AFF jump I went on. I was uh, I was I think reserve siding, or it might have been main siding it. And misread the guy's count, fell off the plane, and uh, Milan luckily stayed with him the whole time. Yep. Like, I, what have I done with myself? Like, I, I know I've made poor decisions before, but this is impressively <laughs> bad. <laughs> no, Skydance was great. Skydance brought oh. you out to, um, to hang out with like one of the most popular podcast guests I've had yet, Mr. Jim Matthews. Oh, good God. <laughs> Dude, he, he told the beacon story when he rode the beacon at Skydance, naked, burning his scrotum on the light. Uh, and I got so many comments and so many people asking me if that shit was really true because uh, uh, of the way he tells that damn story. Oh, my God. People loved it. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's definitely a master at telling a story <sighs> and just having the biggest just the biggest, most welcoming grin ever. Yep, that's Mr. Matthews. There is no doubt about that. He is a friend to everyone. <laughs> yep. So for as many people stayed in his uh, tra his trailer there, yeah. All right. Yeah. No, he was he was kind of the house mom to a lot of people for sure. <laughs> yep. 
So um, how did you get into the rigging side of things? Um, so I had started uh, base jumping thanks to a Mr.'s uh, Matthew and Will Lajeunesse. Mm. And, uh, and um, so I had been base jumping. Matt and I were staying current off a little 300-foot antenna in Pennsylvania. Uh, when I got to California, I met up with some base jumpers and stopped jumping with some of them. Um, mm due to their poor decisions, we'll say. Sure. Um, but uh, as a full-time skydiving instructor, it was the realization of, okay, I need to take care of my own base gear because no one else will for me. Right. But if I'm doing this for a living, I should really know how this gear works as right. well. Um, plus, if you're going to teach a student, if they have a question... You're like, well, uh, I don't know. Um, right. Doesn't instill as much confidence in the student. Whereas if you can, I, I'll i go far too far down the wormhole the other way of potentially over-explaining. Sure. But uh, wait for the glaze to happen and then stop there. Um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, DZO there, uh, Ray Farrell, he was a rigging examiner. And I was like, well, I should know how this gear works. <clears throat> My DZO is a rigging examiner. So if this is my first full-time year, if I've got two rigs that I'm jumping, if I have no cutaways, I'm spending $300 a year in rigging. Sure. So it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get this because at about a grand or whatever it cost me then, in three years, it'll pay itself off if I just take care of my own gear. Sure. So just strictly on the uh, invest in myself financial future kind of idea so now you you got into it that way but uh, obviously you're all the way up to master rigger now and that takes some dedication i mean this is not just a, i'm gonna pack reserves for me and my friends and know the basics this is the i'm gonna know how to pack i'm gonna know how to repair i'm gonna be able to build shit that takes a, a real desire i mean you don't just do that you know just to be able to maintain your gear so what drew you into you know wanting to go that deep into it so when I got to Spaceland, um, the uh, I ended up luckily getting a spot in their rigging loft, and I went from having like sixty-eight repacks when I was there to I, I haven't tallied them, but somewhere in the range of three thousand or more now. Sure. Uh, so it's um, I wanted to know more about how the system worked. Sure. So I got the riggers ticket. Then it kind of became the, okay, well, how does this system go together? So uh, ended up contacting, um, well, a few things. I It always kind of been in the back of my head, like, this could be a good investment in me down the road. Uh, rigging has definitely been far and away the best money I've ever spent on myself with just return on investment that uh, is unimaginable sure. for for what my two college degrees cost versus this. Uh, hands down, way better investment if for me. If you'd only known, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, I could have just been a scummy kid packing main parachutes and then got a rigger's ticket and <laughs> saved all that time and effort. But right. here we are. Um, not to say all packers are scummy. Love my packers. But, well, uh, I mean, come on. You spend all day rolling around on the ground and dirty nylon and sweating all over the place. You're going to get a little yeah. scummy, but they're also some of the yeah. best paid uh, employees on the drop zone. So they can afford to be scummy if they want. Well, if they can hold all the dollar bills with their clawed hands at the end of a good day. Oh, yeah. No. Hey, believe me. I'll tell you what. There's two jobs on the drop zone that I would never want. One I could never do, and that's manifest. And the other one I would never want, and that's packing because it's too fucking hard. Yep. Hats off to anybody that can do manifest or packing for a living. Oh, holy fuck, man. I'm impressed. Tip your packer, everybody. Damn right. Damn right. So but, uh, so you out in Spaceland now, you decide, uh, fuck it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive in deep and I'm going to go all the way for the rigging ticket. You did that more just because you figured down the road it was going to pay off? Uh, well, a few things. One, um, when I got there, the master rigger, Dennis Anderson, uh, he had given me, mentored me, got me a lot of really good info, tips, tricks, just guy was old as dirt and um, still kept jumping like a crazy person. Sure. But uh, he uh, 
taught me a lot of good stuff, but then uh, he passed away. He was struck on his motorcycle on his way to work one day. Uh, So we were left without a master rigger. And I was like, this kind of makes certain things a little bit harder. Um, And then, so that was in uh, August of 20, uh, sorry, August of 2010 was when he was struck. Uh, then in July of 2011, I broke my spine swooping. Ooh. All right. Yeah. I was waiting for this one to come up. So let's get into that just a little bit. How? Yep. Um, got to work a little bit late and people were going like, Hey, we're getting, you know, morning swoop load together. I'm like, I, I just kind of want to get to work and just, you know, I've got some rigs I need to work on. I want to just hop to that and get going. Sure. Like, oh, come on, just, just, it's one jump. I'm like, all right, fine. So go get ready. Um, jumping, uh, velocity 84. I had been jumping it with some weight. Um, I put on 10 pounds of weight. I'm 160 pounds. Um, ended up the upper winds weren't quite as strong as I thought. So I wasn't getting as much on my downwind as I was hoping. Right. Um, so got to my initiation point a little bit low. Normally I would start my 270 about 720 feet. I started about 700 feet with the additional weight probably should have been 750. Sure. Uh, so I didn't change uh, the mechanics of my turn. Um, wing was level to the ground, but I was still had a bit of sink. Um, went to drag toe in the water. Leg kind of started to plunge. I uh, recovered to toggles about my shoulders or so, popped myself up about 15 feet, uh, made it to the shoreline, just kind of giggling, laughing. Um, as I was slowly finishing a flare due to the slower airspeed I was at, as well as the additional weight I was carrying, uh, stall point went from like two inches below my hip bone to right at my hip bone, Ooh. which I got to at about like five, six feet off the ground. Um, canopy started to drop behind me and landed tailbone first on the sand pit at the, uh, at the edge of the, uh, swoop course, but it had been raining recently. So that sand was just like concrete. Oof. Oof. Wow. So, yep. so basically it was a case of, uh, celebrating a little too early when you dug your way out of the pond. Yep. Yeah. I should have <laughs> just, I should have just gotten drenched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think actually you may have been out at Skydance when I broke my tailbone um, and uh, uh, did it in front of Perry. Uh, I hadn't been jumping very much, and I signed uh, Zach off to fly the the 182 for jumpers. And when I signed him off, I jumped out, did a swoop, hadn't been on my sport canopy in probably four or five months, hooked it like I'd been on it the load before, stayed on the rears too long, stalled it out, and slammed my ass into the ground, broke my tailbone. Hooray. Yeah, oops. Yay for broken bones and stupid decisions, yep. right? Yep. So then, of course, I didn't have health insurance. Um, the hospital where they took me didn't tell me the actual extent of my injury. They mm. said I had a compression fracture on T9, T11. Don't bend or twist for six weeks. See somebody in two, three weeks for a checkup. Oh, no. So, uh, Yeah. So uh, there was a local jumper I'm friends with who has uh, private emergency care. So I was like, hey, can I come in, get, you know, get this looked at? And he would do a lot of like scans and stuff for free because he just didn't care. Sure. Um, So he had gotten the films for my x-ray and he was like, you're probably an inch shorter right now. Um, Yeah. So we looked at how at the x-rays. And then we um, looked at the radiologist report, said there was a 70% or greater compression of the T9. Wow. Uh, right. So whereas the ER had shot me full of Toradol and had me walk out of the hospital. Of course they um, did. Yep. Uh, which, honestly, in retrospect, I'm glad they didn't touch me. Um, well, if yeah. If they're that bad, then I'm glad they didn't touch me. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, um, I had the when I when I busted my tailbone, I had a similar experience, only in the stupidity of the doctor. And this will make you laugh because I walked in, uh, did the whole thing, uh, 
you know, told the front counter. They did the x-ray. The doctor finally comes in, sees the x-ray of the broken tailbone, asked me what I did. I said I uh, had a hard landing skydiving, and I shit you not. Her question was, did your parachute not open? <laughs> yeah. So I turned to the nurse and went, this is my fucking doctor? And that was that was it. I was out of that hospital like in five minutes. I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, no. Did my parachute yep. open? Fuck. Well, so they did this. Now, obviously, you know it's serious. So what happens next? Um, so one of my roommates uh, was an ER nurse at uh, one of the – like the busiest uh, trauma ward in Houston to where they'll have military doctors come in and learn about uh, Gunshot wounds there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, – yeah, exactly. So I sent him with a, a CD of the CT scan to his head of neurosurgery. And guy said, well, if he doesn't have surgery now, there's an 80% chance he'll need it at some point down the road. Hmm. Um, I had a trip home to Philly planned. So I flew home to Philly, was on the edge of a mosh pit for a little while with just a shitty little back brace. on. I was like, I should probably move back a little bit. Um, <laughs> so got to the back of the venue, um, got back. Uh, about two days after I had my girlfriend drive with me up to Memorial Hermann, one of my former, uh, AFF students was in med school doing her surgery rotations wow. and she had talked to some of the neurosurgeons there and had shown them some stills from the CT. Hmm. Uh, so I'm laying there in bed at the ER and resident comes in and is like, can you see the monitor from where you're at? And I'm like, yeah, if I need to, I'll sit up. I was like, no, no, no. Can you see the monitor from there? I'm like, yeah, but he's like, you're not getting up until this is fixed. Wow. Wow. And I had been walking for a month like that. <laughs> yep. So I wish I could um, pretend to be shocked, but I'm not. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. American medical system. Yeah. But uh, so uh, about a week later, well, so surgery scheduled for the following Monday. This was like Wednesday when I went in. Um that Friday, Doc is doing her last rounds, which oddly enough, she had actually fixed uh, a friend of mine who had plowed into the ground, breaking a downplane really low to the ground. So, oh, wow. yeah, she already knew how to fix skydivers. But <laughs> um, she, uh, she's like, so we're going to put a cage in where the vertebrae body is and we'll put a plate on the side. And they're color titanium. They come in all kinds of cool colors like red, blue, purple. I was like, do you happen to have green? So... <laughs> Um, after surgery, doc and the resident come to, uh, visit me that, yeah, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, uh, rolled in and the resident pulls out his phone, calls up a picture. Um, it's a plastic bucket. It has one of the screws that held the plate in my plate, the spacer cage and the rib that they cut out of me and ground up and used as packing material. Um, and sure enough, the cage and the plate that they put in me are green. So it matches my gear. Of course. Of course. Well, it would yeah. have to, but I, I win for all matching gear cause everything matches. And I hope no one ever finds out that they match. Cause then I fucked up real bad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, Hey, it's all about priorities, right? I mean, fucking matching gear nowadays. That's important shit. That's, that's why I'm a world record holder. I say <laughs> it's a hell of a world record to have. Oh. Uh, no, they had a world record, that one. Right. So well, yeah. you end up with a broken back. Obviously, now yep. you're, you're healing from the broken back. And is this when the whole Master Rigger thing kicks in? It, uh, not knowing if I would ever be able to skydive again and knowing that I need to pay bills until I figure out what was next, uh, really kind of pushed it to the forefront as an option. Sure. Um, need for the drop zone need for myself. Uh, so kind of ramped up my efforts, got a seat pack and just started slamming out pack jobs on that. Um, went and visited Simon Wade, finished my course in four days instead of five days. Cause I came well prepared. Sure. You did that in uh, what in Mesquite then I would imagine. Uh, Boulder city. Oh, he was still in Boulder city then. Okay. Cause he's got yeah. his rigging loft in Mesquite now. Uh, oddly enough, talk about a, a connection of a small world. Simon Wade is who I got my tandem rating from. Yep. And, uh, 
I, I know you've uh, shared some interesting stories with that fellow oh, as well. Oh my God, man. I'll tell you, we won't even go into them because I'm going to try and eventually get his ass on the show if it's ever possible. But um, I, one of the most poignant moments of my entire skydiving career was jumping for Michael Hawks and skydive Las Vegas, who was notorious for putting his staff out in winds that were just obscenely high, like stupid high, uh, way too much to jump. And if it was over 30 miles an hour, he would just radio up to the plane that winds for jump run were a strong 30. So you knew you were fucked. And I think, it was, yeah, 40. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. So I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised. And, uh, uh, on this particular day, I think we'd already done one or two jumps and they were terrifying jumps. And I ended up on a load with Simon and, uh, he used to jump in this, uh, um, just a painter's coveralls, um, that he would go jump in and he'd have his gloves on and we're on jump run and we get the strong 30 call and neither of us want to do this jump. And in the most sincere way, he takes off his glove sticks out his hand, shakes my hand and says, Dean, it's been really nice working with you. Puts his fucking gloves back on and then out we go. <laughs> Both of us. I, I, can, I can see him doing that. Oh yeah, in the most sincere way. And it was funny because I ended up having to get my tandem rating kicking and screaming. I didn't want it. And he was the one that gave it to me. And in fact, I had to do the the droglist tandem with the vectors with him. And I must have been so amped up out of my mind I couldn't see straight because the parachute finally opens. And I must have just been heaving and breathing and and because uh, he's behind me laughing or he's in front of me laughing going, I wish I could bottle up a little bit of what you got and sell it on the black market. Yeah, he, it's fucking Simon, man. I tell you what. And a hell of a rigger. Oh, my God. Yeah. I could build anything. So you He's trying. So he gave you your master's rigger, master riggers ticket. Yep, sure did. I had uh, I'd heard good stuff. Um, I loved Ray, but I kind of wanted to have a different perspective, a different, you know, maybe just learn some different hints, tips, or tricks. Sure. Just you're going to pick up something for everybody. If I go to a new drop zone, I try to stop by the rigging loft just to see if they're doing something different that's better or just will be something that you need another day. Yeah. Well, or there's always a different way to look at things. So it's a very wise man that will look around and, and take what he can get from other people for sure. So fuck yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, so how did you end up, you, you did the, you ended up getting the master's riggers ticket and, and doing that in, in Spaceland. You're still out there though, aren't you? I'm, I'm in Houston. I'm no longer working at Spaceland. Um, I, I left on really good terms with them. So luckily, whenever I want to do some other work jumps, it's it's an available option to me. Nice. Um, I mean, the, the people out there, they work real hard. They're trying to make a living at it. I have a job, so I'm trying to not take the food out of their mouths. Sure. Uh, but I really enjoy instructing. I still enjoy tandems. I love just introducing people to this world. Okay. It's just to you will be that person's memory forever they might not remember your name but they'll remember you oh yeah absolutely you know i mean it's funny too because and i've said it many times on this podcast if i look back at all of the jumps that i've done now my favorite way to skydive is tandems which is funny because i fucking hated them when i started out it was just the worst experience and so for it to flip 180 degrees clearly it wasn't the physical jumping it was the the people and the environment and all the stuff you get to do because of it which is super cool. Now, how'd you get started with the wind tunnel? Um, I had applied at more than a few different wind tunnels over the years. Um, while I was at Skydance, I had applied for Montreal, but my French wasn't quite up to snuff. Mm. Uh, I had applied for Singapore, but they were only hiring um, nationals. Uh, just pretty much every tunnel that opened, I ended up applying at just because um, I knew how it can accelerate your free fall learning. Sure. And, uh, plus also just the stability of as long as they have power, it'll run versus you can be in a drop zone and you can have rain for 40 days. Yeah. So, um, so it's just kind of always something plus also to help, uh, abate some of the money I was spending on going to wind tunnels to fly. If I just worked at one, that would save me a couple grand. Sure. So, um, like when I fly Austin location had opened, um, 
within the first nine days they were open, I was there three times to fly like 15, 20 minutes a day. Oh, wow. Uh, just cause, just cause it was there and it was only a three hour drive each way <laughs> instead of having to fly three hours to Denver, say, right. Uh, so just getting to know a couple of the instructors, uh, even like if I had an uh, STP student, uh, Spaceland, they do skydiver training program, STP, um, as opposed to AFF. It's a little more comprehensive program. Hmm. Uh, you get people just learning more stuff before you they leave your hands. Sure. But um, I would take students out there sometimes, like a couple times just to clean up some stuff. And as we're leaving, I'm like, hey go hit the instructor with a 20 for me. Like yeah. they let me do that. They didn't have to. So go hit them with a couple bucks. Sure. Um, so just made, made good with the locals so that when I heard there was a Houston location opening and I applied for that, um, especially at that point before there was the huge explosion in the U S and even, you know, in Europe for the huge explosion of tunnels, um, nepotism is definitely the way oh yeah so uh you, you kind of needed to have an in you couldn't just be joe bob skydiver or joe bob off the street and get a job like you you know it, it's a lot easier now because there's just more locations sure but um making good with the instructors there and then i'm sure if they like hey is this guy an asshole and they're like not too much um so i was one of the first three people hired specifically to work at iFly Houston when it would open. Nice. Uh, I'm the only one of those three that is still working there. So <laughs> a little longevity, huh? Yep. Well, I, I just, uh, I get comfortable because if I've got a good thing and it's hard to find a good thing to be comfortable in, in skydiving, sure. um, then just kind of let it ride. Well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 it's kind of funny. The gypsy lifestyle is very attractive for a little while. Um, you know, the, the first season that I did Cross Keys, I think I managed to actually live in my pop-up trailer for almost a month before I finally broke into John's big gray trailer and started squatting in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the the next season, of course, uh, um, uh, Jackson and I rented that house right over by Rob Stanley's place um, that they ended up, what did they, they nicknamed it Squeaky Springs. I think that was more for Jackson than me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the gypsy lifestyle starts to fade pretty quickly and you start to get a little bit of stability and go, oh, this is what it's like to know I'm going to be able to eat next week. Yep. Well, my uh, my first winter at Spaceland between September when we had nationals and March, we had 11 full days of jumping. Wow. Yep. Um, we had, you know, you'd ha get off a couple of loads in a day, but like full, you know, honest to goodness, like this was a good day of jumping. Uh, we had 11 full days. Wow. So every year when it got around to august it's like cool time to tighten that belt because it's about to go to shit and yep. it didn't but i always had that kind of mindset of ready set go like here comes poverty yeah. um so when i got a job at the tunnel i started in actually i just hit my five-year anniversary here on the 11th uh, which is also the day that uh, my friend Dennis had passed from his uh, auto accident. Wow. It's also the day that I had um, taken my now ex-girlfriend on, I forget if it was the first or second tandem with her that I'd done, but I ended up doing two tandems with her over time. I'm like, you clearly like doing this. Stop doing tandems. Just get a license. Sure. Uh, and she finally did. But uh, nice. there you go. That's another story for another day. But so, yeah, the 11th is a really, really weird day for me. A um, lot, lot of flux on that day. But um, it's kind of funny how that, yeah. that seems to happen in skydiving in general, though, because I guess we're compressed into, you know, depending on the drop zones that you're at, you've got it's very seasonal in most places. So you've got these yep. small windows, and then you've got these huge events that happen on very specific days every year, and something like, big always manages to happen. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. I mean, for like the July getting worse and worse for oh, us. You mean? Fuck me, man! Really? I mean, could it get any worse? You could actually help me try and figure this out. Um, Craig Kusky passed away in two thousand and four. Was it? Yes. On, it, it was on July fourth. Yes. Ah. Uh, 
I don't think so. It, it was the PST Swoop Tour. They were doing the whole workups for Wildwood. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember it was like June or July, somewhere in there. It was definitely um, July, but I don't know if it was July 4th. I know it was close. I, I don't think it was that exact day, but I remember I was leaving work and I got a call from uh, Joe Kuzman in yep. just tears and I just stopped in my tracks. Yeah. 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 That was a shitty day. That was, that was not a good one. Well, and then of course, uh, um, a lot of people listening will, will have heard the story a year later, uh, on July 4th with Sarah and Ron, uh, and that was a canopy collision on the drop zone. Uh, and then all these years later, Mr. Rob Stanley decides to join the July 4th club. Um, yeah, th- and that club needs to stop. Fucking hell it does, man. I, I just, I mean, the 4th of July has been bittersweet ever since 2004 for all of us. Cause Sarah was such an awesome chick. Everybody loves Sarah. I don't know anybody that ever had a negative thing to say about that girl. Um, so the 4th of July always sucks anyway, but now to talk, to add Rob Stanley to that mix. I mean, I, I think that was my first thought was, are you fucking kidding me? It's the 4th of July. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm just not going to jump on the 4th of July anymore because... Right? Wrap myself yeah. in fucking bubble wrap and stay in bed. Apparently, it's like Final Destination for cross keys. Right? I know it, man. No, no, I'm good with that. It's fine. Yeah. Well, so we, we've covered a whole lot of the jobs that you do. Is there anything next? Is there anything on the bucket list that's coming next for Mr. Corrigan? <sighs> um, trying to see... I'm trying to see where where I fit in in the world. So I've uh, been exploring the possibility of trying to build a rigging loft slash home here in the Houston area. Sure. Uh, there's a local examiner who is looking to have a spot to teach classes. Oh, wow. Um, and I was looking to try to partner up with him on that. But uh, the financials aren't quite there for somebody who had given me an estimate that sounded reasonable that I could I could pull off. But uh, the newer estimates I'm getting are not quite like I could do it, but I'd be scraping and scrounging. And again, that's not what I'm looking to be doing with my life right now. Right. So uh, trying to figure out, see if I can uh, hermit crab into another thing. I've been looking at properties and uh, whatnot to see if there's something that I can make work and grow. Uh, So trying to figure that out. Went up recently to Oregon, helped out uh, Kelly Farrington with some stuff at Velocity Sports, cool. doing some repairs. Uh, just did some test jumps for him, uh, for some stuff he's got coming up down the pipeline here. Very cool. So. Very cool. Well, it sounds to me like, uh, I mean, all things considered, you've you've managed to ha- end up with a pretty fucking well-rounded career in the sport. But did you ever think in 2003... No. <laughs> I mean, did it ever cross your mind that this is the path you were going to end up taking? No. And even the path I, once I kind of was like, I think I want to skydive for a living. Uh, I still didn't take the path that I was expecting. Like <laughs> I was kind of, uh, the original plan was kind of just start at the bottom. Well, not at the bottom, but start with packing, just get good at that. Cause again, the quick, easy cash, Sure. uh, like move to Florida, do that work my way up and get some instructional ratings and go. Whereas um, I kind of got lucky that I was able to just bang out the jumps, get, uh, get my tandem rating and just, you know, run at it from there and go, go, go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I suppose I'm kind of the same. I wish I could say I had a master plan behind it all, but uh, I kind of just forest gumped my way through the whole thing. You just uh, fell into it. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> yep, Very nope, just like none of our jokes. Very <laughs> oh my god! Actually, those da- I I both miss and loathe those days every time I think about them. Day after day of the horrible jokes that we would tell. Oh my god! So much fun though. Oh yeah. The um, all, all that we would have, we would use in rotation all day. Oh God, yes. Well, and then every once in a while, you'd go rogue. I, I um, you remember Dan Blakely from Skydance? Um, we we had the one horrible day where we decided we were going to just trade the most offensive gay jokes we could all day long. Um, not taking into consideration that we were, you know, right next to San Francisco, uh, and of course ended up with ended up with a gay couple on the airplane that 
rightly so, were terribly offended. And I actually wrote an article about it because uh, I, I said, uh, I, I'm not sorry I told the joke. I'm just sorry I told it when I did. Um, because these poor guys didn't know that I won the the film festival for running around cross keys in drag all day. I mean, they 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 don't know that stuff. They just thought I was some homophobic piece of shit, and rightly so, because we were telling horrible jokes. So I suppose those yeah. days, I'm I'm kind of glad those days are a little bit gone. But the corny fucked up jokes, yeah. those days I miss. <laughs> God, we definitely used to have some goofy ass times. Well, so I'm going to do the same thing I do with everybody else as I wrap up. Uh, say you're talking to newer jumpers, people that are just getting ready to come up, or you're talking to jumpers that maybe have kind of lost a little bit of the spark in the sport and they're wondering if they should keep going. What advice do you have to give for anybody that fits those categories listening in today? Uh, for the newer jumpers, woof. Um, as somebody who really enjoys the educational aspect of the sport, uh, and that's where I spent most of my time, not so much on the fun jump side of things as much as I would like to, but I end up spending the time and then really like the time I spent with, um, just, you've got plenty of time, mm. like actually listen to the old crusty people who actually have seen the horrible shit right. and learn from them as we know what you want to do. We're going to give you the best way, not the quickest way. Sorry. But um, sorry, not sorry. there's a reason. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason. So, like, listen up. Maybe you'll get something out of it if you actually pay attention. Mm. For sure. Well, I mean, uh, too many people and too many other things don't learn from other people's examples. And this is one sport where you damn well better. Yeah. For I, sure. I learned that real quick, again, at Cross Keys. Um, yeah, man. I mean, starting out where you did when you did, it was trial by fire for a low-time jumper in literally every aspect of the sport, from learning how in one of the most intense, busy chunks of airspace and skydiving at the time, to partying on one of the craziest drop zones, to dealing with, I think we had fatalities every year for, fuck, Three, four, five, six, uh, I don't know about seven, but horrible, horrible run. I mean, you learned in that environment. So, wow. That's a hell of a place to come up. Yep. yep. Yeah, I mean, my, my first full year in the sport was 2004, and that's when Cusky. And then the next year was Ron and Sarah, and the following year was PJ. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, rough run of things, man, for sure. Well, and then uh, so many people connected to the sport that were uh, were uh, cross keys regulars, or at least people that we'd become friends with. You remember when PD and, and Relative Workshop came out and did their tour, and that was Egon Sussman and and um, Cola from Blue Skies, uh, and Egon passed away in an aircraft crash, I think, the next year. So it was just this, yeah, just this cross keys curse, man. It was bizarre. Yep, just All bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Paul. Well, yeah. Paul hired me. Paul was yeah. Paul's the reason that I got the job in Cross Keys in the first place, and I never actually got to meet him. I only had conversations over the phone with him. So that's a whole other story. But man, yeah. Paul's the reason I want to be an instructor. So see, there you go. There you go. Like I got with him, and that that stuck with me, which kind of can go back uh, then to your experience lost the spark. Um, yeah, please. The two things I would say is either uh, try something new. There's so many different aspects in the dome of skydiving that try a different one, yep. like work on your canopy skills, you know, go do a crew jump, uh, learn to free fly. I actually had a jumper who hasn't jumped in years. She's been flying with me in the tunnel and she just started jumping again because she wants to free fly in the sky. Awesome. And yeah, like just try something new. If you don't like it, well, then shit. At least you tried. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then also just uh, give back. Like the, you know, say hi to somebody. Like a couple of jumpers have come up to me and like, I was a new jumper here at Spaceland and you introduce yourself. I'm a nobody and you're an instructor and you're just like, hi, I'm Rory. And just said hi. Just make the family bigger. 
Yeah, man, for sure. Pay it forward. Pay it sideways, man. Help out uh, help out fellow instructors that are looking for a slot in the place that you're at or or a, a pilot that's looking for a leg up or, you know, anything like that. I think that's a huge piece of advice. Not to mention it's super fulfilling when, you know, you've helped this student or that friend into a new level in their, you know, sport or their career or whatever, and you get to kind of lean back against the wall with a little bit of pride and go, well, all right, that happened partially because of me. That's a fucking great feeling. Yeah, I've got a couple of people who I took through AFF that are world record holders. How amazing! And is that? it's kind of cool to watch your little sky babies grow up. Right, right. It's like the proud parent. You're just going, "Oh my God, look at what they're doing." Yep. Well, Mr. Rory Corrigan, rigor extraordinaire, tunnel flyer extraordinaire, tandem instructor, and all that. It has been a pleasure catching up with you. It's been way too long. Oh yeah, brother. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll run into each other somewhere on this planet eventually. Oh, there's no doubt about that, man. It's way too small a planet and a dramatically smaller sport. So I guarantee our paths across again. Hell yeah, brother. All right, Roy, take care of yourself, man. Blue skies. And thanks again for taking the time. Thank you, Dino. All right. Another additional lunatic fringe in the can. Thanks to Mr. Rory Corrigan, rigor extraordinaire, tunnel flyer, and guy that stays way too fucking busy. Uh, as always, uh, Lunatic Fringe Into the Void is brought to you by the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Magazine. You're going to want to head to blueskiesmag.com. Subscribe to that magazine if you haven't already. Take a bunch of fucking pictures and send it to them because they love awesome pictures. Make them awesome. If you got something to write, put that pen to paper, write an article, get it into them. If you got a cool story, make sure it's heard. If I can write for these guys, so can you. Also, if you got something to advertise, Blue Skies Magazine is exactly where you want to do it all the contact mag or contact info is going to be at blueskiesmag.com uh, lunatic fringe is also brought to you in association with craft imaging craft imaging has got some really cool stuff you're going to want to check out on their website craftimaging.eu craftimaging.eu they can do the most awesome like sandblasting onto glass onto uh, wine glasses onto carafes onto plaques with photographs all kinds of cool shit definitely go check them out. Uh, for me, I am the fucking pilot. Uh, you can find me at the fucking at the fucking You'll find links to both the books that I've written. That's the blue skies mags, uh, fucking pilot book, as well as the accidental stripper, both available on Amazon in print and digital form. So check them both out. I'm also on Facebook under the fucking pilot and Instagram under the princess pilot. Again, as always, it's been a pleasure having you for another edition of lunatic fringe into the void. We'll catch you again soon.